Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported. That means we truly depend on you in order to bring this resource to you. If you don't already support us financially, you could do so. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. You'll see our three friendly yellow buttons there. One says donate. The other says join our crew. The other says become a patron. Click on one of them and fill that out. If you'd like to support us the traditional way, you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Thursday, November 7th, 2014. Oh, brace yourself. This is going to be bad. It, yeah. I've heard absurd. And this is like mega absurd, uber absurd, over the top, bizarre, narcissistic, narcissistical nonsense. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I'm your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Sadly, there is no shortage of crazy things being said out there. We take the time to open up God's Word to compare and contrast what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books apparently we need to be buying, and whose small group curricula we should be studying instead of the Word of God— Yeah, weird how that works. Over and again, we demonstrate that the steady diet of doctrine that is put forward for consumption by the average evangelical is far from biblical, far from what God's Word says at all, and there's just a whole lot of weird narcissistic manipulation going on. Case in point, we're going to be heading down to Elevation Church, and we're going to be listening to Stephen Furtick, a narcissist. That's what he does. He narcissistically applies himself to the, he puts himself in the biblical text where he doesn't belong. Uh, the account from uh, John chapter 11 of the raising of Lazarus. And you, I assure you, you will have never heard the story of Lazarus told in this way. I mean, it is so bizarre. In fact, it's kind of sadly predictable, kind of like along the lines of, did you know that you that every one of us has our own Lazarus that that Jesus is going to raise from the <clears throat> Yeah, I'm not making that up. So uh let's do this proper uh, as is our uh, <clears throat> custom here at Fighting for the Faith when we do a Stephen Furtick and Elevation Church update, we do this.
pulpit Like you are a man of God Your hand strategically cut to the new style The fever was making hot You had one eye on the camera As you watched the crowd applaud All of the pastors dreamed you be their mentor, you'd be their mentor, and you're so vain. You probably think the Bible's about you, you're so vain. Bet you think the Bible's about you, don't you, don't you? But you twist out of the Bible so no one else had said a peep. I was afraid then I heard the real gospel, heard the real gospel and you're so vain. You'll probably think the Bible's about you, you're so vain. Did you know you have a personal Lazarus? Yeah, you know, and Jesus probably has delayed and allowed your Lazarus to die. But don't worry, Stephen Furtick's going to explain to us how God's going to finally come and, you know, raise our Lazarus and stuff. I wish I was making that up. Let me back this off. Now, have you ever heard the phrase Jesus? Narcissus is a very, very pervasive way of twisting God's word. And uh, we're the ones who coined the term here at Fighting for the Faith, Narcissus. Takes two words, narcissism and eisegesis, and smooshes them together. And uh, in narcissism, we all know what that is, the love of self. And eisegesis, it's a kind of a technical term, but it means to read something into a biblical text. And, uh, and so the idea is, is that when you read something into the biblical text that ain't there, you're twisting God's word. And narcissus is the sticking of yourself into the biblical text when you're not there. And one of the, the most astute and amazing narcissists on the planet, and this is not a good thing, is, uh, is none other than uh, Stephen Furtick of Elevation Church. Let's head over there. And we're going to be listening to a sermon, 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 a sermon titled The Lazarus Factor. Have you uh, considered the Lazarus in your life? <laughs> and they're going, what? Yeah, I know. It, 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 this is So let me kind of give you the standard way in which this works. So somebody will tell you the story of David and Goliath, right? And, and so uh, you become David. You're the hero of the story. You become David. And you've got to find your five smooth stones in order to slay your giants and stuff. Yeah, that totally misses the whole point of the story of David and Goliath. I feel like we're going to have to do very soon a uh, uh, you know a Ro- Pirate Christian's Guide to the Old Testament and take a look at the story of um, 
David and Goliath to see how it relates back to Christ, because it does. But uh, that's a whole other segment. But uh, the, the king of the Narsajites, one of the kings, you know, he's you know, he's like way up there in the royalty of Narsajites, Stephen Furtick. And so we'll be listening to the Lazarus factor. I've got several segments of the sermon queued up for your enjoyment. But uh, let's get to it, and uh, we'll let Stephen Furtick set this up because he's going to be referencing a recent release single from Elevation Worship. And uh, and that will then lead him into um, some really, really bizarre twisting of God's word. He can't do this with these biblical texts. And when you read yourself into the biblical text, you miss the whole point. But I'll point that out. Sorry, I'm getting worked up, getting worked up. But uh, let's get to it. Here we go. We're so excited about our new single, Never Lost, that we were just singing. The Never Lost single. Yeah, we're so excited about our single. We pray that you'll get that song. And what I want to do today is I actually want to take something that was in that song that you were just singing and bring it to your life at a really practical level today. So something we were singing in that song. We're going to bring it to your life in a practical way. Wow. What a great swell guy he is. And the song says that God still shows up at the tomb of every Lazarus. Okay. <laughs> How many Lazaruses are there? <laughs> God still shows up at the tomb of every Lazarus. There was one. <laughs> one. one. One who Jesus raised from the dead. So I mean this this is just really awful. And uh we'll <laughs> we'll note that right off the bat he's engaging in Jesus because Lazarus will then become a symbolic of something in your life that died because Jesus didn't answer your prayer and stuff. And so do you have enough faith when Jesus delays in raising your Lazarus? I'm not making that up. I really am not. Let's just let him do it. And I want to show you the scripture that that line came from today. And then I want to speak to the Lazarus in your life. <laughs> Which kind of begs the question. I mean, who is Lazarus as Lazarus? <laughs> oh, this is so bad. Okay, so we're going to have to front load some actual Bible teaching on this because the story from the Gospel of John Chapter 11 is amazing. It really is amazing. And, and by the way, I just uh, upgraded to Accordance Bible 13. And, uh, and so they have the dark modes now. And so that's why I, I, the screen is dark. It's a little easier for me not having the, you know, the, the bright whites glaring at my old eyes. But anyway, so John chapter 11, let's take a look at the story. We're going to read it in context, in its totality. And I endeavor to show something to you in this biblical text that you may never have seen before. And so let's get to it. Uh, John chapter 11, verse 1. Now, a certain man, singular man, by the way, uh, was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the, of the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, 
Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. Now, there's your really important statement by Jesus. This is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So if I were to say, what's the reason why the story of Lazarus is written? It's written so that Christ may be glorified through it. This is the reason why the miracle took place. So there's your reason. It's all about, you know, Jesus, right? I I know that seems kind of quaint, but uh, let me duplicate this real quick here. And we're going to note that in the Gospel of John, chapter 20, uh, we, we get a similar statement from John, and that is is that uh, you know it, it, that uh, he talks about the reason why Jesus did his uh, his um, miracles and why he wrote his gospel, and and here's what it says: Gospel of John, chapter twenty, verse thirty. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But listen, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So if you were to sit there and go, okay, what's the reason why John wrote his gospel? So that you would believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, and that by believing that you might have life, not only just life, but life eternal in his name, and the specific um, miracle of the raising of Lazarus, Lazarus, yeah, I hate when I do that. Anyway, the the specific reason why Lazarus was raised from the dead, and we learn this from Christ before he even dies, is so that the Son of of God may be glorified through it. Got it? Good. All right, all of that is foundation. Let's now continue. So Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was, Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. So after saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep but I go to awaken him. So Jesus you know, gets the request, and no sooner does he get the request, well, he decides that he's going to stay for a couple of days, and, uh, and now Lazarus has met his demise. He's died. And so, and Jesus, he, he's the guy who has the right to kind of call death sleep. Just saying, that's something about him that he's, a, he's able to do because he's able to wake anybody from the dead like, you know, like your wife or your spouse wakes you from sleep. Anyway, so he's fallen asleep. And so the disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. So Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, well, let us go that we may die with him which is one of the more bizarre statements in all of Scripture. I, I think Thomas kind of overcooked his piety by about half there, but that's a different sermon. 
Anyway, so Jesus came, uh, when, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And this is most certainly true. Okay, quick quiz here. What's the reason why this miracle takes place? So that the Son of Man may be glorified. So Jesus would be glorified. Got it? Good. Okay. <laughs> and John wrote his gospel so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him you might have life in his name. Got it. Okay, so that's the re- it's not about you finding your Lazarus, by the way. So Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. So Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, and now here's one of the definitive statements of Christ. Ego, a me, I am the resurrection. Ego, a me. Hey, Anastasis, I am the resurrection. And Kai, a Zoe, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Now, I'm going to make a point here that if you want to find your Lazarus, (laughs) your Lazarus is you, okay? Because the wages of sin is death, and unless Jesus returns in our lifetime, you're going to die. Me too. We're we're all going to die. So this is kind of good news. The whole point is the Son of Man, the Son of God, is going to be glorified by this miracle. And you'll note here the emphasis is on Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. That's kind of a big deal. I don't know. Me raising from the dead, big deal. You raising from the dead, big deal, right? Because, I mean, isn't death the thing that, that like, stalks us all? So whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? That's a great question. Do you believe this? And and this question comes all the way across the pages of time and rings in our ear. And let me ask you, do you believe this? Huh? So she said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into this world. Now, what did, what did John say? These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. Ooh, ooh, Martha sounds like she, yeah, she believes, and she's got life in Jesus' name. Just saying. Okay, so when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here, and he's calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him, Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. 
Now, this next part is a little challenging, and I'll have to show you something in the Greek, and you kind of get it. Now, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Now, here's the issue. Uh, The issue here is that the Greek word for moved or deeply moved, embrimaomai, let me show you what that means. Okay, let's see here. I'm going to pull this up, double, triple click. There we go. And boy, is that small. Let me make that a little bit bigger. Embrimaomai. And we're going to note some of its meanings. An expression of anger and displeasure, mm-hmm. uh, of scolding or censure, uh, to feel strongly about, be deeply moved, all right? And you'll note that it has a very negative connotation, one of apparent harshness of the expression. He, Jesus was really angry. Now, this kind of begs the question for the exegete, when you see embromaomai being used like this, is, is it saying that Jesus is angry at Mary for scolding him and for her weeping? That's not what's going on because it's going to show up a second time. It shows up two times in this text. So I'm going to just kind of leave, the, you know, leave it out there in outer space at the moment. Jesus was Maybe a good way to put it in English was he was torqued. He was really ticked off. Okay, but the question is, who's he ticked off at? All right, what's he, what's he angry about? So when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was torqued. He was really upset in his spirit, and he was greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And he said, where have you laid him? So they said, Lord, come and see. So Jesus wept. He now, in his upsetness, and he's torqued, he wept. Hmm. Again, kind of again, it begs the question, what's he angry about? So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some said, well, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? So then Jesus deeply moved, and there it is again, embermaomai. He's torqued. He's really upset. He's mad. He came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And you have to kind of say it like that because the Greek tells you that. What's he upset about? Answer? Complete mess that we find ourselves in as a result of the devil's deception. Jesus is deeply moved by humanity's condition. It was never meant for human beings to die, for them to be separated from their loved ones, for their loved ones to have to mourn and weep their loss. So note then, coming back, where it says deeply moved, The first time it says, when he saw her weeping, the Jews had come also weeping. He was deeply moved in his spirit, and he was greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? It's as if Jesus is, well, heard that, you know, if Jesus, the good shepherd, has heard that a lion has come and 
taken one of his his dearly beloved sheep and has run off with it. And where have you laid him? I'm going to go and I'm going to snatch this sheep out of the jaws of the lion. I'm going to go and snatch and rescue Lazarus from the jaws of death itself. See, he's angry at what has happened because of the devil's deception. And so notice his empathy then in what's going on, but not mere empathy. He has the power to do something about it. And quick quiz here. What's the reason for this miracle? So the Son of God would be glorified. That's the reason. Not me glorified, not you, not Stephen Furtick, for sure. Uh, you know, so you'll note that Jesus wept. So he went to the K deeply moved. He's angry. And he said, take away the stone. And so Martha, seeing Jesus' determination, just basically goes, uh, you know, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead for four days. I always love the King James because it says he stinketh, right? So Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. Uh, note here, the reason for the miracle is, again, Son of God would be glorified. These things are written so that you may believe that, the, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing, you might have life in his name. So Jesus says, in their presence, he's praying that, that he knows, God, that you always hear me, but I pray this on account of the people standing around so that they may believe that you sent me. So then he said these things. When he said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with a cloth, and Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. He's just been freed from death. It's a big deal. This is an amazing miracle. All of this to glorify Christ so that you will believe that he was sent from the Father, that by believing in his name, you might have life in it. And look what happens next. So many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, they believed in him. All right? But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. And so the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council together and said, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, you're going to stop him. He's the son of God. Everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it's better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being a high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. Oh, and he did, yeah. And not only for the nation, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So that on that day, they made plans to put him to death. You raise people from the dead, I kill you. I kill you. 
All right, so there's the account. You've got a little bit of the insight as to what's going on. Quick quiz, what's the reason for the miracle? So the Son of God would be glorified so that people would know that he was sent by the Father so that you would believe. He's the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing you have might, might have life in his name. I couldn't think of a more poignant passage that explicitly says it's all about, you know, Jesus. Well, apparently Furtick missed those little cues in the text. Because he thinks that, you know, it's all about him. So let me back this up a little bit because, and uh, we'll <laughs> rework our way through this because it just gets absurd uh, at this point. But uh, let's listen again. And I want to show you the scripture that that line came from today. And then I want to speak to the Lazarus in your life. Everybody in here has a Lazarus. <laughs> About the only takeaway I made this, I'm my own Lazarus. Why? Because I'm going to die. You know, <laughs> I kind of need to be able to be raised from the dead. Otherwise, I, I, I perish. You kind of get the idea. Man, this is absurd. And everybody in here has a God. And today we just want to bring these things into God's presence for a few moments. John chapter 11 is the scripture. Welcome to our EFAM around. Now he's going to read it out. We'll let him do it. On the world. There are tens of thousands of people right now who are joining us on their devices. And let's thank God for them as well, that this word would be received in your life. I got smart to beat up brought my iPad today, my Bible. I'm preaching from John 11, and I'm covering quite a few verses of Scripture. And my Bible yesterday kept blowing. The pages kept blowing. It wasn't the Holy Spirit. It was the, the air vent. And it just kept blowing to different Scriptures. And so I brought it on the iPad today. I hadn't preached from it in a long time. And it's locked and loaded and charged. And I want to preach to you. Well, it's not locked. It's going horizontal. This is some old man stuff right here. You know, every preacher gets persecuted. Paul had shipwrecks, and I have iPads that go horizontal. It's kind of on the same level, don't you think? But we're going to look at something today together uh, from John chapter 11, verse 1. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, the sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Everything up until this point, by the way, makes total sense to me. Uh, we're given the name of this man, Lazarus. His name literally means the one who God helps. Have you ever had God just help you out of a, a mess that you got yourself into or a mess that you couldn't get yourself out of? His name means the one that God helps. And his sister was Martha. She's the one who made the mortgage payment. His other sister was Mary. She was a good listener. And Jesus liked going by and visiting because Martha made these incredible lemon pepper wings. He liked to eat her food. And then Mary would sit at his feet and be discipled. And there's nothing better than somebody, well, I was going to say there's nothing better than a good listener, but a good cook is better than a good listener. 
And if you ever find a good cook and a good listener, marry him. Marry her. Okay? And Jesus loved to go to this little place two miles outside of Jerusalem. And he would often be refreshed there in his ministry travels. But now they need his help. And it says that he loved them. He loved all of them. He loved Lazarus. He loved Mary. He loved Martha. And as Lazarus' sickness begins to overtake uh, the affairs of the family, Martha issues not necessarily an invitation to Jesus, but a request for help. Lord, the one you love is sick. I love how she phrased it. You know, send him a message. Say, uh, Lazarus, no, no. Say, the one you love is sick because he's very busy and we need to get him here. So let's just remind him of, of how much he loves Lazarus and get him here real quick so he can do that healing thing that he does for us. And everything makes sense, you know, that he loves them. So he would come to them and he would visit them and he would help them because Lazarus' name means help. So- Could you get on with it already? Read the text. Oy. Now, you're going to note a couple of things. I'm going to point this out. Stephen Furtick is speaking while music is playing in the background. Yes, yes, yes. That's a form of emotional manipulation. Hmm. Yeah, he's mastered that technique as well. But there's another form of emotional manipulation that takes place that's quite overt there at uh, Elevation. And that is, is that Stephen Furtick employs the use of a uh, part of the audience called the bullpen. These are volunteers who get those really nice VIP seats right up next to the stage. And their job is to go, ooh, and go, ah, and, and make it sound like, you know, that he's just dropping pearls of wisdom from heaven on them. And every time they get a pearl from heaven from Stephen Furtick, they, 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 they clap and applaud and uh, say hallelujah and all this kind of stuff. See if you can uh, listen to them doing their shtick because th- this is this is all part of the manipulation that takes place at Elevation. All right, we're going to pause right there, pay some bills. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Pyre Christian. When we come back, the balance of this miserably awful thing that Stephen Furtick is doing. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. If you want advice on how to have your best life now, You're in the wrong place. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough of this sissy, pansy, turning for the written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. Uh. 
Max Holiday's Birdcage Theatre presents Church Day Select. are they flying? They're flying the code orange flag. It's the SSF Audacity. This is our chance, men. This egregious foe has been plaguing the seas for long enough. Two arms! Man the battle stations and hoist the colors. Aye, aye, sir. Man the battle stations and hoist the colors. Man drummer and man battle station. Aye, aye, sir. You heard the man. Get to work. Come on, let's keep going. The enemy's not going to wait for us. Put your back to your knife. Come on, get those fighters. Get them weird out. No warning and no play. Come on, let's get go. Go, go, go. Captain, sir, they're turning to meet us. With this clear weather, we couldn't have had the element of surprise. Well, no matter. We have the wind on our side and our men are ready. We should be pulling up alongside them any minute now. Give me a status report! Sir, the enemy ship has us outgunned by at least three to one. The gunner's mates are reporting that we're running low on gunpowder and half the crew is suffering from Montezuma's revenge. Never fear, my good man, for it says that with God we shall do valiantly. It is he who will tread down our foes. If you say so, Captain Furtick. They're now within firing range, Captain. Mr. Smithers, send them a... Hang on, let me do this myself. Send them a warning shot off of their port bow. Fire the cannons, I, sir! That was merely a warning shot, Captain. They could have very well have hit us. I think they wished for us to surrender to avoid bloodshed. Nonsense! You think we would surrender in an hour of triumph? God has clearly stated that no weapon formed against you will prosper. We can't lose. Let loose the cannons. But but we're not within silence. If I wanted your opinion, I'd have given it to you. I say, fire! I've never seen a warning shot where they used all their cannons before. The blasted fool shot before he was in range. I can only assume that he means to not surrender. Quickly fire a barrage into their port side while they reload. Aye, aye, sir. Fire the cannons! Ha! You call that an attack? I have God on my side. He said this to me. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. Why why aren't we firing our cannons? 
We've now lost half our cannons due to the last attack! Come on, men! We can't lose! Aye, aye, sir! Are they even trying anymore? By all accounts, I believe they are. Let's pull up alongside and see if we can't reason with them. It would be bad form to slaughter them without mercy. Hello, over there! Go away! We have nothing to say to you! I wanted to negotiate the terms of your surrender. My surrender? It is you who will be surrendering to us. What on earth is he talking about, Captain? Maybe he's suffering from malnutrition and heat stroke? No, I, I think he's serious. Now look here. You're outgunned with no way of winning. We wish to show you mercy. No weapon formed against us will prosper. Why is he quoting the Bible? No, a quote would require a context. What he's done is called proof texting. Enough talk, men. Ready, aim, fight! What was that? I couldn't hear you over the sound of your mass being demolished. But, but, uh, no! In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Oh, would you look at that? Your rudder is gone, too. <clears throat> It'll be a little difficult for you to sail without it, don't you think? I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Is it me? Or is your ship now sinking? Nah, maybe it is me. The God of Peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. If it's all the same to you, I think we've lost this fight. I'm surrendering. Geronimo! Satan with you. I can't take another minute with this lunatic. Stop it! Stop it right now! All of you come back. We, we, we can't lose. We have... God on our side! We shall prevail! We will... Well, that was surprisingly easy! Makes me wonder how they were even viewed as a threat in the first place. Most inept sailors to ever sail the seven seas. Welcome to the American Lutheran Theological Seminary. I'm Dwayne Clevin, Administrator for ALTS. Do you have a desire to be a pastor? St. Paul wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 3, If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble thing. Has anyone ever told you you would make a great pastor or that you should consider being a pastor as your career path? Have you ever wondered what your vocation might be after college? Or perhaps you completed college and found that your career is not fulfilling. Are you wondering about pastoral ministry and considering a Master of Divinity degree as a path to ordination? If you have answered yes to any of these questions, please contact us. As the American Association of Lutheran Churches looks toward the future, our need for pastors in our church body is great. The American Lutheran Theological Seminary exists to train pastors to serve our congregations. 
Is this part of your future? Our Master of Divinity program in conjunction with the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod welcomes all qualified applicants from the AALC into their graduate programs at Concordia St. Louis and Concordia Theological Seminary Fort Wayne. The Master of Divinity program provides our students a traditional seminary residence and classroom experience on their path to ordination within the AALC. Whether you choose a residency program at St. Louis or Fort Wayne, or one of our interactive classroom experiences online, the American Lutheran Theological Seminary is here to support you on your journey. Come join us. Let's walk together. For more information, please find us on the web at www.alts.edu or email our registrar's office at registrar at alts.edu. Thank you. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Na, 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 na. All right, we're back. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that you don't have a personal Lazarus or that if something's gone wrong in your life, that that's not a Lazarus in your life because it's not. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith, this is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world and you can partner with us. That's right. It's a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our three friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. The other says become a patron. When you join our crew, you get to pick your rank in our crew. Rank is based upon your monthly commitment. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's made at 24 95 a month from there, Master Gunner at 49.95 a month, and then Quartermaster at 99.95 a month. Joining our crew is a great way to support us. Of course, if you'd like to make a one-time contribution, click on the donate button. If you'd like to become a patron via Patreon, click on the become a patron button. If you'd like to support us the traditional and analog way, you can do that as well. Make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344. Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. Well, buckle up. Here's the balance of our look at Stephen Furtick's uh, sermon titled The Lazarus Factor. Here we go. So it's in his very nature to expect the help that his name identifies, just like as a child of God, you call on your father and you expect him to help you. And everything up until here makes sense. But the next verse is something that I want us to talk about for a few moments today, because some of you are at a place in your life that doesn't make sense anymore. 
And it's that I want to speak to. It says that he loved them, that Jesus loved them. He really loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus. Verse 6, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And that's what I wanted to work on together today. Because it would be one thing if the Bible said he loved them, but he stayed where he was two more days. Because that would mean that he couldn't come. He had other people to help. But it says this, this interesting word, so. So he stayed where he was two more days. And that means that verse 6 flows directly from verse 5. He loved them, so he did not come when they wanted him. And I want to talk about this today from my heart. I'm going to title this message, The Lazarus Factor. Um, okay. So Jesus loved Martha and her sister. So when he heard Lazarus dead, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, okay. We got that. But, uh, notice he's kind of missed this, this whole point here. This illness does not lead to death, for it is for the glory of God, so the Son of Man may be glorified through it. He really hasn't, you know, keyed in on that. In fact, did he skip? Did he cut that out? Now, I I remember him reading verse 4, but it's... Well, after reading it, it just kind of disappears. Hmm. You know, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna change the playback speed to two times, and I'm going to back this up, and we're gonna go back. Oh, maybe a minute and a half, and and let's see if he skipped that part. Let's see. Invitation to Jesus, but a request for help. Lord, the one you love is sick. I love how she phrased it. You know, send him a message. Say, uh, Lazarus, no, no, say, the one you love is sick because he's very busy and we need to get him here. So let's just remind him of, of how much he loves Lazarus and get him here real quick so he can do that healing thing that he does for us. And everything makes sense, you know, that he loves them. So he would come to them and he would visit them and he would help them because Lazarus' name means help. So it's in his very nature to expect the help that his name identifies just like as a child of God. You call on your father and you expect him to help you. And everything up until here makes sense. But the next verse is something that I want us to talk about for a few moments today because some of you are at a place in your life that doesn't make sense anymore. And it's that I want to speak to. It says that he loved them, that Jesus loved them. He really loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus. Verse six. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was too more days yep he skipped it he, he just flat out skipped it yeah i i want you to see that he told so so the sister sent to him saying lord he whom you love is ill and then furtick said the next verse says now jesus loved martha and her sister and lazarus so when he heard that lazarus was ill he stayed two days longer he flat out left out this part this illness does not lead to death, Jesus said. It is for the glory of God, so the Son of God may be glorified through it. Jesus totally threw out, not Jesus, Stephen Furtick. Stephen Furtick totally threw out Jesus' words that explain what the purpose of the miracle is going to be for. And um, it, it ends up on the cutting room floor. Uh-huh. Because if he had put it in there, he couldn't be doing what he's doing. 
wow, this is blasphemy. Let me come back here and uh, let's keep it at two times speed until we catch up to where we were. And that's what I wanted to work on together today. Because it would be one thing if the Bible said he loved them, but he stayed where he was two more days. Because that would mean that he couldn't come. He had other people to help. But it says this, this interesting word, so. So he stayed where he was two more days. And that means that verse 6 flows directly from verse 5. He loved them, so he did not come when they wanted him. And I'm going to talk about this today from my heart. I'm going to title this message, The Lazarus Factor. All right, so he's going to title it The Lazarus Factor. Now let me go back to regular speed. Wow, he totally took out Jesus' words. This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God. Absolutely sick. Sick. The Lazarus Factor. And Lord, I just pray that you would... Yeah, the Lazarus factor. All right, now let's fast forward a little bit in the sermon because the next thing he does is talk about when he was in high school, he worked for a pet crematorium. Yeah, why? Because he wanted to talk about having bad jobs, you know. And so now we're at the 9 minute 26 uh, second mark. Let's uh, keep going as he tries to talk about what a tough job would be. You know what I think? But one of the worst jobs would have been to be the PR manager for Jesus Christ. To to have to explain his actions or, or, or to have to give a press conference for Jesus. Especially when John chapter 11 says things like, he loved them. He received hospitality from them. But when it came time for him to help them, He stayed away two extra days because he loved them. Well, yeah, again, I point out, you you missed this part, Steve. Uh, This illness does not lead to death. It's for the glory of God, so the Son of Man may be glorified through it. You you just kind of left that out, and as a result of it, now you're kind of sitting there going, well, you know, it would be pretty tough to be Jesus' PR guy. Um. Well, no, not, no difficulty at all because Jesus explained what was gonna that all this was for the glory of God, so the people would believe in Him. It's an interesting construct, and we come to find in all of our lives the difference between God's job and our job. See, God's job is outcome; your job is process. What are you talking about? This has nothing to do with any of that. Can I preach a little bit to the three? So the reason why John 11 was written and Jesus performed the miracle is so that you can learn that God's job is outcome and your job is process. That's not what Jesus said. People who are awake. The longer that you think you can control outcomes in your life, the more frustration you are going to experience in this journey of faith. And many of us were taught starting out that faith was a way of controlling outcomes. It was like, if you pray this and do that, then you can expect this. But everybody in here has a Lazarus. I, <laughs> I'm going to have difficulty getting through even the short segments that I've queued up for this installment of Fighting for the Faith. This is absurd. The Lazarus factor is the thing in your life that made the formula fall apart. What? 
The Lazarus factor is the thing in your life that caused you to question the very nature of faith. And start to see at this point in this passage that faith is rarely a form of manipulation by which we get God to keep our schedule. I've got news for you. God will not be manipulated. Yeah, that's right. God won't. But the people there at Elevation, they are every single weekend. You know, the bullpen. Ooh, and, you know, the sappy music in the background. Ah, yeah, yeah. God won't be manipulated, but the people at Elevation are. God will not be moved just because we get uncomfortable in a situation. And I hate to break it to you, but faith is not a means of manipulation. It is a patience with mystery. The kind of mystery that can say on one hand, God can do anything. But in that very same breath that you say God can do anything, there is something in your life right now that God will not do that you see in his word that he did for somebody else, but he has not done for you yet. I'm simply trying to say that everybody in here has a Lazarus. You see, when you know what the text is really about, and you know the part that he, like, left out, you realize this guy is demonic. I mean, this is sick. And not only is it sick, it's stupid! What he's saying is so narcissistic and so self-absorbed that, oh, that anybody who is not suffering from narcissism can see what the problem is here. Everybody in here has something that was supposed to be done. If God really loved you, he would. If God, What are you talking about? Oh, he's talking about my Lazarus. If God really saw you, he would. If God was really strong like they say he is, he would. If God really had all power in his hand, he would have. Because we confuse God's love with proof in circumstantial evidence, we never really get to the foundational core that the love of God is not always proven by the way I feel his presence. The love of God is proven by the way I deal with his perceived absence. Wrong. Wrong. <laughs> I have to resist all temptations to spontaneously combust at the moment. Let me see. Romans 8, I think, is where I'm going to go. Um, let's see. No, it's probably going to be 5. Yep, it's probably going to be 5. Okay, so I, I'm going to... Let's see if this, if this is the chapter here. Ah, uh, yeah, here it is. See, I'm feeling verklempt. I'm feeling verklempt here. Because <laughs> my Lazarus is is died and and then god didn't do anything about it Ugh. so the uh the texting question is uh he he just in fact let me go back to what he just said so we can grab the context real quick and we'll use romans 5 to clear this up man this is a mess yeah here we go love with proof in circumstantial evidence, we never really get to the foundational core that the love of God is not always proven by the way I feel his presence. The love of God is proven by the way I deal with his perceived absence. The no, no. R Romans 5, <clears throat> verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person 
though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows, you can, you can take this, this Greek word, uh, and you can also translate it, he demonstrates. God shows his love for us while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so how does God demonstrate his love for us? Christ died for you while you were still a sinner. Since therefore we have been now, now have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. See, God demonstrates his love for us, not in his absence. God demonstrates his love in that he sends his son, Jesus Christ, to bleed and to die for our sins. Or as John chapter 3, verse 16 states, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, his only begotten son, so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. I think you get the idea. Whatever Ferdick is spewing here, it's just bleh, absolute vomit. It's bile. It's gobbledygook. The love of God is not only proven in the times where I thank him for my blessings. The love of God is proven in my life where I cannot feel him, but by faith I praise him because he is God. Even when I don't sense God, he is God. And I wonder is there when are you when do you sense God? Are, are you a Jedi? Anybody who's willing to give God a praise by faith in this place. Anybody willing to give God a praise? This is manipulation also. Yeah, Furtick also engages in his own form of manipulation. Notice the people in the front rows. That's the bullpen. Yeah. So, yeah, that's their cue. Stand up and <laughs> clapping things because, you know, manipulation. Today at Gaston, at Blakeney, at Ballard. Yeah, notice the first people on their feet are the ones in the front row, you know, the bullpen. At UC online, give him a praise if you don't praise him for what he does, but who he is. Uh-huh. Now, let me fast forward a little farther uh, near the end of the sermon as he's going to wind some things up and, you know, kind of give that uh, kind of Clintonian, you know, got bite his lip and kind of looks serious and sad and things and things and stuff as he's going to try to land the plane now and, you know, and, and help you to deal with your Lazarus. Yeah. Everybody has a Lazarus. Everybody has a turn that your life took that you didn't see coming. And that God didn't prevent. And a simple... Notice the sappy music is now in the background. Emotional manipulation technique. Bullpen is going, yeah, that's right, that's right. Another emotional manipulation technique. As this message may be, I think it may be the deepest one that you ever hear. Oh, I got to back that up. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Just backing this up just a little bit. You didn't see coming. And that God didn't prevent. And as simple as this message may be, I think it may be the deepest one that you ever hear. (laughs) It's as deep as a thimble, man. It's so deep, it's unfathomable. Yeah, uh uh-huh. 
Yeah. Because God is saying, take me to that place. (laughs) So as he's working his way through the text, the part that he's at is where Jesus says, where have you laid him? And and now now what this really means is that that God is saying to you, you need to take me to your place where your Lazarus is buried. (laughs) Oh, this is so bad. How is this guy taken seriously? It is not a physical location. No, no. It is an emotional one. God's going to visit my emotional location where my Lazarus is buried. (laughs) Just... I, I'm having a hard time keeping it together. This is so ridiculous. Take me to that place yes. where you laid him, where you stopped being optimistic. There's the bullpen. Amen. Amen. This is nonsense. The emperor's wearing no clothes. Where you started going through the motions, swinging an axe with no blade. Take me to that place. Who swings an axe with no blade? Where you just learned to manage the addiction rather than fighting it. This has nothing to do with somebody who has an addiction. Take me to that place where you just decided to show people a facade because you don't think they can handle what's really you in the core of your being. That place. Everybody has a Lazarus. I do not, again, I have to ask the question, who was Lazarus's Lazarus? And the question is not whether or not you have a Lazarus. The question is, what are you going to do about it? The people at Elevation are being snowed. This is a con job. This is not what this text is about. This is absurd. Now, Jesus made the the trip to the tomb. And when he got there, some of y'all said you were going to memorize more scripture this year. I'm going to give you one to start. Verse 35, Jesus wept. So you can go home and tell somebody you memorized the whole Bible verse today. That's the whole verse. Jesus wept. How powerful that before he spoke the word, he wept. Before he demonstrates his authority, he demonstrates his empathy. He wants you to know I'm with you while you're waiting for it. I'm with you while you're waiting for it. I'm with you. Yeah, this is just ridiculous. I was with you when you didn't see me. I was with you. And they're all like, oh. This is nonsense. When you didn't feel me, I was with you. When people couldn't do it for you, I was with you. Oh, man, he's totally manipulating these people. And he wept. And when they saw that, verse 36, many of the Jews gathered there said, see how he loved him. Look how much he loved him. And then some of the other Jews. See how much Jesus loves your Lazarus. <laughs> I am. Yeah. Wow. Jews said, verse 37, 
Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man kept this man from dying? So now I got one voice saying, he loves you so much. And then I got another voice saying, if he loves me so much, then why? And the Bible says that Jesus, once more deeply moved, did not respond to their opinions. but Yeah, did you actually look up the Greek there for deeply moved? I looked it up for you. Uh-huh. If you pay attention to the actual Greek, can you read the Greek? If you pay attention to the Greek, then you'd actually see what's going on in this text. Operated according to his purpose. I feel the presence of God in this place. Uh, that, that's more manipulation. Oh, I feel the presence of God in this place. That's more manipulation. He's the super spiritual guy. He's the, he glows in the dark and stuff. And ooh, he, he can sense now the presence of God and stuff. Now watch this moment and receive it for your Lazarus in your life. It says, <laughs> so receive this moment for your Lazarus. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave, but the stone laid across the entrance. You know, I got to say, I'm not the best at reading body language. But if I'm not mistaken, just reading Furtick's body language, he doesn't believe anything he's saying. He knows he's putting on an act. He knows that he's manipulating these people. It kind of shows in his body language. It's, um, there's something missing here. Uh-huh. Stone across the entrance means nothing else is going in and nothing else is coming out. That's some of your hearts today. <laughs> so the fact that Jesus, there was a stone uh, across the entrance of Lazarus's tomb. That, that means that, well, it's bad things regarding stuff in your heart today. No, that was just standard protocol. You know, you bury a guy, back then you'd, cover the tomb up with a stone in order to odor control the place, you know. And then Jesus tells them something to do that he could have easily done without their help. Take away the stone. Isn't that crazy? He's about to raise this man from the dead, but he can't push the stone. He could, but he didn't. Until the moment where you open yourself to the possibility that God can do it, your heart is a closed tomb. What? <laughs> oh, man. I, I do believe that um, mandatory drug testing for megachurch pastors including steroid use, uh, might be a requirement here because this is Looney Tunes. What kind of nonsense is this? Keeping dead things in, but here's what's beautiful. Like, where does the tomb keeping dead things in? This is not why this miracle is recorded. You, you skip that part. Yeah, let me remind you again what Jesus said. You know, John 11, Jesus said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so the Son of Man may be glorified through it. You, you skip that part. Yeah. You see, if you just put that in, you couldn't be doing this nonsense. When, when Martha responded, 
to Jesus' command, she was embarrassed because she didn't want to expose what was inside. She said, Lord, by this time, there's a bad odor. I don't want anybody to see this. I don't want anybody to know this. I don't want anybody to go know what's really going on in my heart. <laughs> oh, my head. My head is going to blow up. It's, yeah, it's, it, wow, this is bad. This is just complete asinine stupidity. (laughs) Martha saying, oh, this is an odor. It means that she's trying to hide what's really going on inside of her heart. Really? But then Jesus said something. Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God. And get ready to praise him by faith. Verse 41. There's a a manipulation right now. Now get ready to praise him. There's your cue. You know, you you people in the bullpen, you know, get ready. You you got a job to do. So I just want to, here's your cue. Oh, this isn't manipulation at all. They took away the stone and Jesus looked up and said get ready to praise him Uh, get ready get ready I'm, I'm ready man I'm ready father I thank you that you heard me I know you always hear me but I said it for them that they may believe so everyone's on their feet he's shouting because he said get ready to praise him and stuff uh-huh. That they may believe I sent you through trouble That you may believe I sent you through the sea That you may believe That you sent me And then Jesus get ready to praise him Verse 34 They're not praising him yet They're just they're, they're still getting ready Come on, come on When he had said this He called out in a loud voice Lazarus Come out Lazarus Come out 44 when he said it the dead man came out the dead dream came out the 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 dead dream came out no the dead man lazarus he came out the dead things came out no not dead things lazarus came out the dead place to life. No, the dead place didn't come to life. No, it was Lazarus. Only him. The dry bones came together. No, that's Ezekiel 37. The dry there were no dry bones coming together there. Um no, he'd only been dead for four days. Bone to bone! Hear the word of the Lord! Lazarus come forth! Praise him! Yeah, so um, there you go. Uh, that was um, utterly deceptive, manipulative, and a complete exegetical train wreck because there was no exegesis going on there, just narcissus. Uh If you attend a church and your pastor engages in this kind of nonsense, you're not learning the Word of God. These things are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing you might have life in his name. And the text is so clear. Jesus said that this doesn't lead to death, but so that the Son of Man may be glorified. And indeed, he was. And people believed in him as a result of that. And what Stephen Furtick was doing with this text was demonically twisting it, narcissistically making it about you or your problems or whatever, rather than about Jesus. And um, yeah, 
just a complete mess. So if you know anybody that attends Elevation, you need to pray for them. You need to pray that God would deliver them from the, the grips of the devil because Stephen Furtick is not pointing them to Jesus. In fact, he intentionally left out that part of Scripture that said, that where Jesus said that this, this will not lead to death, but so that the Son of Man may be glorified. He just totally left that out, which means he made the intentional decision to take the focus and the glory away from Christ and to put it on himself something else. That is the behavior of a wolf, not a shepherd, or under-shepherd under the good shepherd, Jesus. So what'd you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Pirate Christian. Until tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.